Welcome to Cinema Talk and the Wisconsin Film Festival. We have a special guest with us today, Serge Bromberg, who's joining us from Paris. Serge Bromberg founded Lobster Films in, eight, in 1985. This is a company devoted to the restoration and circulation of films. Through his tireless efforts, we, uh, we have been able to see color restored to the film by Georges Méliès, A Trip to the Moon. We've been able to see uh, shorts by Chaplin and others. Uh, Serge Bromberg also won a César, a César, which is the equivalent of an Oscar, for his documentary about the director Henri-Georges Clouseau. This is the film Inferno. And for 15 years, he ran the Festival of Animation in Ancy, France. The Wisconsin Film Festival is showing two stunning French films made in the mid-1930s that have been unearthed and restored by Lobster Films. Both films were directed by Louis Valray, a director who until now was completely forgotten. These two films are La Belle de Nuit, 1934, and Escal, or which is sometimes called 13 Days of Love, 1935. So welcome, Serge Bromberg. Can you tell us about the rediscovery of these two films by Louis Valray? Okay. I had no clue who Louis Valray was. This man made two feature films in his life in 1933 and 1935, and I had never heard of any of them. But Lobster Films is like a private archive, and we keep looking for, you know, lost prints, uh, lost films. And among the, the cans of films that we had found was an incomplete print of a film called Escal, which is the second film by Louis Valray. And uh, uh, so I thought one day, incomplete, we were about 80% of the film. So I thought one day maybe we will reissue that, but you know, the ending was a bit short and there were missing parts between the, between the reels. And um, one day I realized that my neighbor uh, was Louis, uh, Jean Sago du Vauroux, uh, and Sago du Vauroux was actually the real name of Louis Valray. So I went to him and I said, well, would you by any chance be related to Louis Valray? And the man said, oh, yes, Louis Valray, but he was my grandfather. I said, wow. Uh, and do you, you own the rights of, of Valray? Because Valray produced his films, wrote his films. I mean, he did everything. And uh, I said, well, probably me and my uh, sister and, and, and brother. So I went to all of them and, and signed with them a paper Whereas they would grant me the rights to that film that was incomplete. And, you know, he had never seen any of the films by Louis Valray and thought, why not sign for the four films? So we signed that paper and for a long, long time, uh, nothing happened. I uh, released, I published the uh, VHS of Escal in 2003. And of course it was a complete flop. There's no famous actor or anything. And, uh, and the film was incomplete. And it's a very, very French film. Uh, so it's, that's where it stood. And about four or five years ago, I was speaking with Bertrand Tavernier. Uh, and Tavernier told me that uh, he had heard that he knew I had published a Valray film and said, I think uh, the remains of the camera negative of the other film, Belle de Nuit, has been deposited at the French Film Archive at the CNC. So maybe you should give a look. And uh, when he found out we own the films, he said, well, go on. I mean, uh, Valray is an important director. And I thought, well, I don't know if it was important, but it didn't make a big success for the first film. Well, I'll, I'll give a look. So I grabbed the negative from the CNC. They had another 
incomplete print of Escal, the other film. And all in all, uh, I offered to uh, make a restoration of both and ask the French state to help me uh, um, finance this work that were very important. And they said no. Why would they say no? Well, because Valray is not important and the actors are not important and nobody cared. So I restored them anyway. And uh, that's what we always do at Lobster. And uh, we published uh, a DVD in France for each film. And a few days after the DVDs were published, uh, Dave Kerr from MoMA uh, visited, was in Paris, and he visited uh, Lobster, my company. And I told him about those two films. Dave speaks fluent French. And he said, well, you know, I, I, if Bertrand said that it's interesting, maybe I should give it a look. And uh, he was flying the next day. On the plane, he found a way to watch the two films. And when he arrived in, in New York, the first thing he did, he did was send me a message saying, those films are absolutely flabbergasting and we're going to show them at MoMA. And that was the beginning of a worldwide uh, rediscovery of Louis Valeray. And it's, a, in a way, a wonderful story. That's a great story. And um, none of it would have happened without your commitment to identifying um the missing material from Escal and uh, and 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 uh, also you know we we need to mention uh, Bertrand Tavernier who who just left us recently yeah. and uh, who himself has been so important in in the world of of restoration. So I just want to to thank you from the outset for your your tireless work on behalf of the restoration of of these films and and so many others. Um, okay, so so then what happened? Did you finally manage to pull together a complete version of Escal? Well, not only did we do that, but you know what I always say, although we are a very advanced uh, restoration film laboratory, uh, we are, uh, our, our, let's say, uh, credo is that it's important to restore the film, but the most important and most difficult is to restore the audience. And uh, we need the museums, we need people who carry the word, like Scorsese, like Pierre Rissian, you know, those major uh, film lovers, uh, Alexander Payne, would never stop showing films and promoting films. So Dave uh, showed the two films at MoMA during the uh, 2020 Seven Project, 2019 maybe, Seven Project Festival, and it was a blast. And it was such a success that uh, when MoMA uh, opened a streaming site recently, uh, the films that they put, the first films that they put on the streaming site were the, the two Valerie films. And they were a huge success, far ahead of the other films on the website. But, you know, it's even a, a nicer story because uh, the first thing I had in mind, actually, was to say, well... Mr. Sago Duvoro, who signed me the rights, I knew he, he passed away. Uh, he must have uh, sons and, and daughters. And actually, there are 13 heirs of Sago Duvoro, grand-grandchildren, and none of them had ever seen a film by Sago Duvoro. Of course, they were never re-released in the 30s. So I sent a link to all of them. And uh, most of them didn't speak to each other. They probably didn't know each other at all. And uh, they started 
connect, connecting together, saying, oh, well, I've seen this and I've seen that. Many people say, well, those films are lousy because they expected like the Marvel standard or, you know, like a, a color or sound effects and everything. No, they are simple films of the 30s. But for those who love cinema, uh, it was a blast, a rediscovery. They started sending me photos that they had in their attic or basement of their grandparents and their wonderful cinema days. You know, Valeray, it's interesting. Valeray is a man that was not uh, interested in fame. He wanted to do his own films. He, he worked in the south of France, uh, promoted his own films, distributed them. And the two first films and two last films were uh, failures. So he decided to give up and became a, a radio uh, speaker for a long, long time. And then ended up being an engineer in a glass factory called Pechinet. So, so basically no connection at all with cinema. The guy was totally forgotten. No one remembered his name, his films, nothing. And uh, that's what's so wonderful about cinema. You can dig and all of a sudden you find a nugget. And, and it's so beautiful that you share it with people you love. And in the end, the name Valerie comes up again. What an extraordinary story. And what an amazing gift you gave to his grandchildren and great grandchildren to finally get to see the work of, of their father. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so uh, impossible for me to understand why these films um, dropped out of film history and why Valeray was not able to sustain a career. These films, for me, evoke poetic realism, the work of Marcel Pagnol. Um, uh, the, the chanson réaliste and, and the whole universe that that mode of expression uh, makes available to us, the world of thwarted love and seedy bars and uh, alcoholism and sexual desire, all of it. I mean, what is not to love about these films? Dance and choreography and poetry and, 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 and freedom open air, you know, at the time when everything was shot on, on in studios, we are all of a sudden in, in some parts are in the studio, studio like, I mean, at, at its worst or at its best, I don't know. And you have all these scenes that are shot outdoor and that are so beautiful. Uh, I, I, I do not understand. Well, there are a few things. The first thing is that uh, he didn't have much money, so he couldn't afford the uh, uh, big stars of the day. There were no Jean Gabin, there were no Charles Boyer, there were no, uh, you know, people like this. The other thing is that, of course, we're in the 30s, and at the end of the 30s, there's the war, the war arrives, and most of the, the actors were Jews. Uh, Valerie was not Jew, uh, but, you know, the, the name of uh, Vera Coren or Sanson Fine Silver was Romanian, were erased from the memory of cinema because they were Jews. On the other hand, Colette Darfeuille, uh, who plays in uh, Escale, uh, had a career during the war, and she played in films, uh, promotion, promotional films for the Nazi forces. And wow. of course, at the end of the war, her career was over. So, you know, not only were they minor actors, but also their fate or their, the choice they made during the war uh, kind of uh, separated them even more from the legend of cinema. So, at Very the interesting. 
Yeah, you know Colette Darfeuille. That's that's unbelievable. She, the, the actress from Escal, she she worked with Abel Gans. She she in the end of the world. She worked with Clouseau. She worked with uh, uh, Buster Keaton in The King of the Champs Elysees. She she was a, a real major star. She worked with Rex Ingram in his last film Barude, shot in France. So those stars could have remained, but. You know the war in France. I, I think you, you you cannot understand in America what war means uh, in terms of uh, breaking reputations uh, or things like that. Uh, in Europe, people who were on the wrong side of the fence were literally destroyed. Right. I think about Clouseau, the, the fate of Le Corbeau, and you know um, Gina, uh, who played the the main actress, uh, who was the main female protagonist um, in Le Corbeau. Jeanette Leclerc. Jeanette Leclerc, whose yeah. whose career was was cut short afterwards, yeah. and um, and Clouseau, Clouseau himself. Yeah, for working, Clouseau was not involved in politics. He said, "You know, I'm I'm doing my films, and actually, you can read his films in many ways." Uh, but he was forbidden to do films in 1945 after the war, and uh, for two years he didn't shoot a film. And when he came back, it was Quentin Orfèvre, which is probably one of his masterpieces. So uh, uh, we were happy he could come back. So he was able to reconstruct his career, but uh, you, you're saying that Colette Darfeuille, the star of Escal, was unable to reconstruct her she career. She was destroyed. She was okay. totally destroyed. And what do we know about Vera Corrine, the star of Belle de Nuit? Vera Corrine was also a Jew. Uh, she actually was a, a theater actress. And uh, she, she signed at La Comédie Française, which is the national uh, theater troupe. Uh, and um, she had a good career, uh, a fairly good career in cinema also. Uh, but of course, because she was a Jew, she was expelled from the Comédie Française in 1940 and could hardly Uh, shoot any film during the war. And when she came back after the war, she was reintegrated in, in, this, in the Comédie Française, but decided to stop doing cinema. I mean, her relationship with cinema had, had been marked by treason. Uh, betrayal, this, yeah. Betrayal. She yeah. felt betrayed by the, by the film industry. Yeah, well, Certainly. no doubt. Um, Certainly. Uh, look, well, let's. Would you like to talk about the films a little bit? I, I think these films are just so interesting. Um, we've got La Belle de Nuit, made in 1933. It's set in two distinct worlds: a kind of sleek, glamorous world of French boulevard theater, well-behaved drawing room melodramas, and then the sort of underworld of the southern port city of Toulon. It's a story of revenge. Uh, it's about a playwright and his best friend. Uh, the best friend and and uh, the playwright's wife have a love affair, uh, creating um, you know grief in his life, and so he gets revenge. He goes down to Toulon, Don't finds say a process. I shouldn't say, say too much. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm just going to stop. That's why it's a film about revenge um, that reminds me, in a way, of of another film made about this same time called Le Grand Jeu by Jacques Feder. Oh which features a similar plot line, you know, about the uncanny resemblance of, of a high society woman and then a prostitute. And, and there too, it's a film about kind of fraught 
uh, impossible love. I think except, also... Except, except that, that Federer was a major director at the time. Uh, Federer had started in the teens. Uh, you must remember that Valerie's film is his first film ever. And uh, he that he has no background, knows no one. And uh, you're right. Uh, the storyline is about the same. But... Actually, uh, Feder is in realism and sensitivity. Uh, Valray brings something more. For me, Valray is a, 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 a for how, how would you would you say that he foresees the nouvelle vague because he brings uh, uh, he gets away from realism and creates choreography, creates. Poetry creates a second dimension that seems totally illogic uh, in, in the cinema of the 30s, just like La Talente by Vigo. Why would La Talente be La Talente? For me, Belle de Nuit is a bit like La Talente. He invents something that is without a, a future, or maybe the future is the Nouvelle Vague 30 years later. Uh, for me, when you see those two uh, uh, sailors dancing together, uh, slowly uh, in the street. It's actually these two sailors are on the poster. So it's very, very uh, uh, voluntary that he does that. Uh, so the, the uh, I think his, I think his idea was to create a different cinema based on poetry and, uh, and, uh, tragedy. Uh, there's no need to explain because if you explain what it's about, uh, people will not understand. So they have to watch the film. And once they have watched the film, they will not be able to explain themselves, but they will understand. Uh, it, it's really, as one would say, for those who know, no, ex no explanation is necessary. And for those who don't know, no explanation is possible. That's exactly what Belle de Nuit is about. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I and I think you're absolutely right that the the most immediate uh, parallel in French film of this time would be the film La Talente by Jean Vigo, with its mixture of realism and and tragedy and poetry. And also, it's uh, both of these films by Valray have a love affair with the boat, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the sea was obviously important. That man lived in Toulon or in the south of France, and and sailing away uh, was probably what he always wanted to do. He was producing the films with his with his wife Anne Valray. They were doing everything together. With the photos that I found in the uh, attics or basements of of the grand grandchildren, I saw images of happiness images of being together, images of building stories, telling stories uh, that would be different. Uh, obviously, we're not in the middle of the film industry. We are not shooting a film every other month. Uh, we are not looking for international promotion. The deal they had with Gaumont, uh, GFFA, Gaumont Francofilm Aubert for uh, Escal, uh, probably fell apart very quickly because the film was so different. And to tell you the truth, uh, today, when you watch the film, uh, you have that character of a black uh, um, 
waiter, servant, I don't know how to explain that. We is actually. Uh, that may be disturbing per today's standards. Yeah, uh, but what an what an interesting role for him. So so in the film, so Escal is a film about it's another high low story that brings together a proper ship's captain with a kind of working class party girl and who is um, connected to another character who is a smuggler. There's kind of this criminal underworld milieu for Escal that's completely fascinating. But the ship captain has a servant played by um, actually a dancer named Feral Benga, um, who, who was from Senegal and who danced at the Folie Bergère, apparently the, the musical. What do we know about Feral Benga? Well, I didn't know anything about Feral Venga, uh, but uh, obviously this man was very important in the in the 20s in France. Uh, he was, as you said, at the Folie Bergère. He was uh, um, a model for sculptures. Uh, he was he was everywhere. He was uh, very very popular. Uh, I didn't even know his name, uh, which means that he also. He's one of those who became totally forgotten uh, after the war. Yes, he he reminded me um, a little bit of a well. There's this film that, that also was lost for a long time, time called Daïna la Métisse by Jean Grémillon, of course. By Jean Grémillon, and and there too, it's a kind of there are two black characters again on a ship, um, and it's a kind of poetic uh, melodrama again. But uh, we we don't know much about those actors because the film was mutilated and 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 not distributed properly. So, um, but yeah. on the other hand, we have another parallel could be Josephine Baker, right, with Princess Tam Tam and Zuzu, films that that feature um, a black woman, but but playing a role that is very um, I don't know fascinating and yet problematic. You know, very problematic. I mean, Josephine Baker was a major star in France, and uh, uh, she was from America. And and uh, the the play she has, the role she has, are so uh, so much caricatures in a way that uh, it's it's hardly watchable today. I mean, uh, Josephine Baker. Is, is a national hero uh, in France. She joined the, the French forces in London. She fought with uh, General de Gaulle and uh, she had a career until a very, very advanced age. But what she did at the time basically was uh, close to what the zoo, you know, the human zoos that they had where you would have a, 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 a black people or people from far away caged uh, in their uh, costumes just for people to, to see what this, the civilization is far away. It's, 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 in a way, it's totally disgusting. She accepted that. She accepted to dance with bananas uh, at her belt. She accepted to be the poor little black girl who would fall in love with a white man and so on. But it's okay. Those films are amazing, but you they have to be watched with uh, care uh, and people should be aware of what they're about to see. At the time, they were absolutely stunning. Uh, when I saw Zuzu for the first time, I was amazed. Uh, but when you see Escal, it's the same. People didn't think the way we, per our standards today. So you, you cannot judge uh, what they are showing. 
uh, for what we expect today. At the time, showing uh, lost islands of the other end of the world, even if they were shot uh, in Toulon, <laughs> but you pretend, uh, they, they, if people would dream about it and would say, oh, wow, that's amazing and, and, and so on. Today, we see, we see the world in a snap. We have the world in our computer or on our cell phone. So uh, we are a bit more uh, aware of yes. what we watch. Yeah, the film Escal definitely trades on stereotypes of of the exotic black person yeah. in a in a tropical paradise, and uh, it's disturbing. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, Benga is 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 a talented um, actor and and an important presence in the film, as is Samson Fan Silber, who plays the kind of bad boy um, whom our female protagonist uh, cannot seem to resist. So we've got two two male others who are who walk around this film half dressed <laughs> and uh it's it's very interesting <laughs> yeah yeah it's it really uh you must watch these films as uh pure discoveries but you know my work at lobster uh is entirely dedicated to finding films in in places flea markets wherever old cinemas and sometimes we come across films that are so unusual or so uh, awaited for, and that would n- no one would think that they would be around anymore. We found a Henry King, uh, a King Vidor film. We found a King Vidor film called Bardalis the Magnificent in an attic in the south of France. It's a John ba- uh, John Gilbert uh, film, Metro Goldwyn May of 1926. That was totally lost. We found lost films by Buster Keaton. We found lost films with the Marx Brothers. We found lost films by Georges Méliès recently. Uh, if if some of your uh, uh, members uh, watch TCM, they will soon see a film called The Méliès Mystery that I have uh, uh, directed with my friend Eric Lange about the absolutely miraculous discovery of negatives that were destroyed by Melies himself in 1923. So we are sure they were destroyed and for some kind of strange reason, they were, they are there in America, in the other end of the world. Why, how? Well, that's the subject of the film. And, and we, we try to explain, they were destroyed, they were burnt. We know that. So how, how can they still be there? The Melies Mystery, that's, that's, a, that's a big okay, thing. Okay, we, we will watch for the Melies Mystery on TCM. Thank you for that. <laughs> that's because the, the part of the Melies mythology is that he, you know, in a fit of rage and disappointment at his, the, the, the failure of his career, destroyed his own films. And, and yet you're saying, no, they were not all destroyed. I mean, of course we know, we, we do have access to them, thanks to the no, world. No, they were all destroyed. I mean, he, ha- he has done 520 films. He had the 520 negatives in Montreuil, he put the 520 negatives in on the grass and he lit a match. So the 520 camera negatives of his 520 films were destroyed in spring 1923. That's for sure. That's There's no doubt about it. That, that There's no question. That's now documented. Me, yes. So that will tell me, how is it possible that something that burned in 1923 is not burned? Well, that's what we tried to find out. Okay. I can't wait to see the Melies mystery. 
yes, prints circulate and sometimes they are saved. And we know that Melies's brother, Gaston Melies, uh, lived and worked in the United States. So maybe that has something to do with the, the saving of some of these films. I can't wait to find out. Thank you. Um, let's see. What else shall we talk about? Um, I am kind of interested. One more question about Escal, um, there's a deep investment in popular music in this film. And I noticed that the singer, a pretty famous singer named Susie Solidor performs yes. in that yeah. film. So how did, do we know how Louis and Anne Valray developed a connection to these realist singers and how they, how they, I mean, it was, was that just something that everyone was doing in the 1930s, maintaining connections with popular music well, and musicians? You know, actually, uh, Suzy Solidor plays in the film, but I have no clue why she's, uh, how they got in touch with her. Uh, we know nothing, except that uh, they needed some stars, just like today. So they probably wrote her, and, and or maybe they had a connection with her, uh, which I doubt. Uh, they were out of nowhere. Uh, but, you know, I remember when I did... Uh, uh, my film Inferno, I had no connection with anyone and I called people and said, I have a good idea. Would, would you be game to play for two or three days with me? And some of them would say yes, just because they liked the idea. Suzy Solidor was really a singer. She was not an actress or hardly. And uh, you know very well about French cinema, obviously. Uh, and uh, probably they wanted to have that name put on the on the on the poster and uh, and get some attraction. Okay, so no. she yeah. she was just a, a way to uh, probably evoke the um, the milieu of the um, the port. Well, she had to sing. She has to sing. So it was singing. Of course, she she obviously they would need a singer to do that. But yeah, in other right. places, they would just choose any singer, local singer, and here in this case, they did not. Right. She, she's amazing. I love Susie Solidor. And there's also that other comic singer that wh whom I didn't recognize at all, who, who sings that funny song. She, she's the friend of, of Colette Darfoy's character who tries to cheer her up when she's feeling depressed. And she sings that funny song in the bar. I, I didn't know who that was either. I don't, I, I don't know. I, okay. I don't know. You know, you, you, you must remember that uh, in 1933, the French cinema is still in a struggle between the lovers of silent films and, uh, the, and those who wanted talkies. Dubbing did not exist. So you didn't have uh, the American films in France as you've had after that. And uh, uh, basically any film with French actors that would speak would have a market. Uh, small market, but there was a demand uh, and uh, films were scarce. So uh, that's probably why uh, they could make films in 1933 and 1935. Then in 1935, all of a sudden, dubbing appears. Uh, you can see uh, the King Kong in French. You can see that was shot in 1933. You can see Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Even if they sing in English, uh, they are uh, speaking in French. Uh, so all of a sudden, the market for these independent productions is narrowing. Uh, and the industry becomes more uh, structured. Uh, and more and more cinemas have sound equipment to show sound films. So at the end of the day, that's probably what uh, uh, made Louis and Anne Valray change their mind. Oh, well, we've made our two films. 
and uh, you know we have a life to live, and and we're not part of this world, obviously, and and truly they were not part of this world until Bertrand Tavernier and Dave Kerr decided uh, against that thing, that idea. And and you as well, and it's our great good fortune to to have these films at the Wisconsin Film Festival and to be able to view them. They're they're absolutely extraordinary. I'm they're thrilled, full. I'm thrilled, Kelly. Thank you, thank you, thank you for programming those films. And 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 for those, if you go and watch, when you go and watch the films, you will love them so much that please promote them. You know, the uh, I got a call from a man called. Uh, Marty uh, Scorsese or something like that. <laughs> we said, yeah, we said, Serge, I, 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 I want to see those films in Blu-ray. Please make two Blu-rays for me and send them on. On he's shooting a film at the moment, but he wanted to to see the films right now. You, you see, I mean, these films were forgotten twenty years ago, and when I uh, uh, will announce to these. Uh, 14 uh, grand-grandchildren that Scorsese wanted to see the films of their grand-grandfather, they will be like, what? I mean, that guy is joking. It's, he's lying. No, I'm not. It's, it's, it's great. I'm very happy of that. I mean, Valeray is alive again. Yes, and what, what great news that is. Okay, thank you very much, Serge Bromberg, for your time and for your expertise and above all, for your passion for cinema. Thank you, Kelly. I still